Um, the, book of, the book of Nehemiah is where we've been as a church together these past six weeks. Uh, and so if you're new uh, to West Hills, Nehemiah, or, or just new to the faith, Nehemiah is a, a fifth century uh, BC book um, of the Old Testament with wonderful lessons for us today. Um, I personally have really enjoyed, and I've heard from so many of y'all. Uh, sorry, I gotta, I gotta remind myself to slow down this morning. I'm looking at the clock, and it's saying 11.06, and this is our first week back, starting at 10.30. So I'm like, I've got 20 minutes, and I'm gonna be short, but I'm not gonna be that short. But so anyways, sorry. I, I, I've got 40 minutes, so anyways, we're good. Um, Nehemiah has been so uh, encouraging to me personally, and it's been encouraging to hear that it's been so uh, encouraging to so many of y'all. I've just heard really great feedback, not just about you know, the sermons and messages, but about this book that we're in and just how much relevance there is 2,500 years later for us and so many just good, rich life principles uh, for us that, we've, that God has been teaching you through our study. And so to briefly recap where we've been, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to uh, King Artaxerxes of Persia while he's in exile. Uh, when, when Nehemiah hears these reports of God's city, Jerusalem, his family's uh, city laying in ruins. And so Nehemiah feels especially called uh, to return and to rebuild the city's walls. And so for five weeks now, we've watched Nehemiah battle against external threats of these neighboring enemy groups and against internal threats from his own people's uh, injustices towards one another. But last week in chapters uh, six and seven, we saw Nehemiah rally the troops and help finish the wall in just 52 days of construction despite all the odds stacked against them, all the opposition, such that even his enemies are forced to admit, surely this work has been accomplished with the help of their God, Yahweh. Now, some of y'all may be thinking, if, you, if you've been paying attention and looking ahead, wait a minute, I, I looked ahead and there's 13 chapters in Nehemiah, so you're telling me we are smack dab in the middle of it, halfway, and the wall is already completed. I thought that was the point of the book. This isn't gonna be like, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings series where the last three full-length features are just like take place after the ring's already been dropped off and Sauron's been defeated and it's like, why are we still watching? We get it, New Zealand is beautiful. Just like end the series, right? Is it gonna be like that? No. Well, I want to assure you this morning um, that, that the five weeks that we have left in Nehemiah after this week are not just garbage time. Right? This is not just like when you put the subs in and you're up, you're up by eight touchdowns. This is still really, really good uh, stuff that we have to get to in the remaining chapters of Nehemiah, and so stick with us. Um, and and I, my hope is that this morning will especially reassure you of that. Um, this, this, this morning's passage uh, that we're going to read together in chapter eight is personally my favorite passage of the whole book. Um, and so I'm, I'm honored and humbled uh, to be able to, to sermonize on it for you. And so um, my hope is that that'll be the proof. If you would, uh, let's go ahead and dive right into it. If you would stand with us as you're able, if you would stand um, out of respect for the reading of God's word. And I'm going to actually um, invite you to try something different this morning uh, that we don't normally do. Uh, but would you, if you would indulge me, close your eyes and I'll, I'll read this passage for us, and, and I want you to imagine this scene, okay? Nehemiah is going to paint a scene for us, and I want you to try and envision this. 
This is Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you tell us that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce through us, down through our mirror, through our bone, to our souls. So, Father, this morning as we reflect on this powerful image of your word convicting and encouraging at the same time your people, Father, would you give us eyes and ears and hearts like we hear that they have to listen attentively to your word and to hear what it is that you would speak into our hearts this morning. And we'll give you the honor and the glory. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, um, there are many different ways to approach preaching a given uh, text of scripture. There is the verse-by-verse expository approach, uh, whereby the preacher studies the text and then dissects it into its component parts, the core truths and principles that arise out of the text, and then repackages it in a way that's more memorable and applicable for the congregation. And that is more or less what we do most Sundays here at West Hills. But many preachers will still insist that on the classic three-point sermon, they'll say people can't realistically be expected to remember five principles on how to fight the enemy from Nehemiah 6, much less eight steps for fighting injustice from Nehemiah 4. You just got to give them three things to take home. And then others will go even farther and say, look, the three-point sermon may have worked a few decades ago, but technology has ruined us. We're all ADD. And so you've got to boil it down to one point. Give them one point to take home and hammer it home. Uh, there is theme, the thematic expository preaching style where the, the pastor takes a single topic that arises out of a given passage of scripture and then he traces that theme throughout many different passages to lay out a more holistic biblical uh, basis and understanding and view of that concept. And so we in, uh, incorporate that into a lot of our preaching here at West Hills as well. There's the narrative expository preaching style where the preacher invites the congregation to actually enter in with him into the story itself. And he uses 
a text, a, a narrative text, as a lengthy illustration to arrive ultimately at a moral of the story that applies to our own lives today. And we don't do a lot of that style here at West Hills, but I think that's probably just because we haven't been in a lot of narrative texts. We've spent a lot of our time in my three years here in uh, the epistles and so, uh, the, of the New Testament. And so that's why I'm, I was really excited when we were launching into Nehemiah. And so this morning, I want to try something that's kind of different from all of those. Uh, I'm going a little bit off script this morning with the models. And I already told you, I love this passage from Nehemiah 8, and I, prob- I must have read it two dozen times, just, just reading it, and just like we just did, kind of closing my eyes and imagining this scene uh, from 2,500 years ago in the city square in Jerusalem this week. And so as I thought about how to approach this sermon, for me, I, just, I didn't love any of those standard preaching models. The verse-by-verse exposition didn't seem to fit to me. Five steps for reading your Bible in public. I didn't, you know, that didn't seem compelling to me out of this passage. Maybe, I mean, we could have gone with the thematic expository method, and I could have taken the theme of reading God's Word and hearing God's Word understanding God's word, and then trace that throughout scripture. We could have done that and surveyed Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Joshua 1.8, meditate on this book of the law daily. Romans 10, how are others going to hear the word unless we go preach it to them? And we could have done that. There's a great sermon there to be preached. But for me, this passage from Nehemiah, this, this image of what the community does together it was, it was too powerful to reduce it to just a principle and, and, and to just tell you, so go read your Bibles. So what I want to try this morning, we might ca- call the model expository approach to preaching. I want to use this story as a model for us and this powerful image of the community reading, of the, them listening attentively to the Word of God At this point in history, that was just the book of the law, as Nehemiah tells us. That would would have been sections of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. But I want to attempt to do that very same thing for ourselves this morning. And so to simply read and to simply listen attentively to God's word. And we hear next week in verse 9 the way that these Israelites responded to Ezra doing this. It says they were moved to tears by the law. Okay? So picture that, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they are weeping uncontrollably. And so I, I want to encourage you this morning, these, you know, these are the books that we usually just think of as the ones that derail our Bible in a, in a year reading plans, but, but they, they were moved. And so for us, how much more so we have the full revelation of God's word. We have the New Testament. We have Jesus himself, the complete inspired good news of God. And so how much more so should we be inspired from time to time to just simply read and just simply listen deeply to his word and be profoundly moved by the story of redemption that is the Bible. It is our story. God's story is our story for those of us who have been adopted into his family by the shed blood of Christ. Amen? And so that's why we're moved and, and, and that's why we do this. And so I'm going um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to... Simply read, as I told you, and I am going to employ two helpful uh, suggestions from my wife 
Uh, because when I did tell her that I was planning to just stand up and, and read straight from the Bible for 20 minutes, uh, she said they're never going to let you preach again. And um, so I'm, I, I'm going to use her suggestions, and I'm going to show you a video um, that we're just going to roll in the background. And again, I have to give all credit to her because this is where you know they say, be careful um, being the one with great ideas because then you have to follow up on them. So she actually spent the better part of yesterday putting this video together while I was editing and finishing the sermon. And so a huge thanks to her. Um, so I, I, I pray that all of her hard work will pay off and that uh, as you watch and listen, that uh, God's word will cut you to your core and convict you in ways and encourage you in ways and build you up, strengthen you, uh, and the, 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 the video itself would maybe even help bring the story to life even more for you and help it sink in even deeper and hold your attention. And so if you still struggle, if, if the video is distracting to you, feel free um, to simply close your eyes and listen. Um, I'm not going to make you stand up uh, like, like Ezra did. I'm certainly not going to go on for nine or ten hours from early in the morning until midday like uh, Ezra did in the middle of the Middle Eastern hot sun. And so if you, if you start to feel your attention, whatever, just remind yourself of that. We could be in Jerusalem in the summer for nine or 10 hours reading Leviticus, all right? So um, I hope that you can, God will give you ears to listen attentively this morning. That's our prayer. Um, we see in verses, secondly, we see in verses seven and eight here that Ezra and the other priests helped the people understand the law. Uh, they gave the sense so that the people could understand the reading. Now, we don't know how much of Ezra's sermon was him explaining versus him simply reading. But according to this helpful chart I found uh, that I've got a slide for you there, uh, it should take at, at about or at least eight hours to read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the sections of Exodus that would be considered the book of the law out loud. This is interesting. Uh, and so that means that the vast majority of what Ezra did was simply read. If you read for nine or 10 hours, the vast majority was simply to read. And then they'd, take, they'd stop and take points every once in a while to give the sense, to help people understand, to explain. And so this morning, in, in, in keeping with that and in, in, in order to stay true to the spirit of what Ezra does here, uh, I, I want to simply let the word of God and its power be primary this morning. Okay, I, I don't want to get in the way very much this morning with my own commentary. And so I have decided to, to simply read and then I'm going to let Jesus himself be the commentary for the rest of the story. And so if you're a little confused through the Old Testament or maybe you've never heard some of this story before, hold on, stick with us because indeed it is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that makes sense of the rest of the story. It, it reminds us of, of the story of Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 24 that we hear at the end of Luke's gospel where the two disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus after Jesus' death and uh, Jesus is going undercover incognito and starts walking alongside them. They don't realize it's him uh, or that he's been raised from the dead yet. And uh, the, the text says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. All scripture points to Jesus. 
Amen. The Old Testament is the anticipation of Christ. The Gospels are the manifestation of Christ. Acts is the proclamation of Christ. The Epistles is the explanation of Christ. And Revelation is the consummation of Christ. All of Scripture is about Christ. Jesus is the best commentary there is. And so this morning, we're simply going to read. And when we get to the New Testament, we will see how Jesus gives the sense for us and how he helps us understand what it is that we're going to hear in the Old Testament. And so I've added just a few thematic section headers, but 98% of what you're going to hear comes straight from God's Word. And if anybody wants afterwards to get you know, my, my manuscript, I'm happy to send you the notes. I've got all the scriptural references pulled straight from Scripture for you, okay? Does that sound good? So settle in. And um, Derek, can we just maybe dim the lights just a little bit? Um, that might help you <clears throat> see. And I'm going to invite Scott to actually come up as well. And Scott's just going to kind of play softly in the background again to um, just help draw our attention. Not towards the video, not towards Scott, not towards me, towards God and towards his word. We ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be, and there was. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But when the woman saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes, she took of it and ate, and she gave some also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And therefore the Lord God sent them out from the garden of Eden. Then Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from the face of the land. Behold, I will bring a flood upon the earth to destroy all flesh. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord said, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark. And Noah did all that God commanded. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country to the land I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph and he said, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
The Lord said to Moses, tell all the congregation of Israel that every man shall kill a lamb at twilight and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the houses. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. The blood shall be a sign and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. And so the people of Israel, they walked on dry ground through the sea. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day, and Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. Then Israel set out from the Red Sea and went into the wilderness, and the people grumbled against the Lord. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, Make us gods who shall go before us. And he made them a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. But Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, and the Lord said, Now, this is what you shall do to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons. Then if anyone sins in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. For I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking to him, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and said, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you. But if your heart turns away, you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, you shall surely perish." in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then all the elders of Israel came to Samuel and said to him, appoint for us a king like all the nations. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. From the day I brought them up out of Egypt, they have forsaken me and served other gods. Only solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so Samuel took oil and poured it on Saul's head and said, The Lord has anointed you to be king over his people Israel. But later the word of the Lord came to Samuel and said, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And so the Lord said to Samuel, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. So Samuel anointed David. But the Lord sent Nathan to David. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house." So when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways. But when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. 
And the Lord was very angry with Solomon and said, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you. Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. And Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Baasha did what was evil. And Elah, and Zimri, and Omri, and Ahab, and 21 evil kings. And 280 years later, Zedekiah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord. But the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising their words, scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, God brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans to kill them. God gave them all into his hand. But the Lord said to Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And to Micah, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap up like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. But he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. His name is Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. He was there at the start. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus restores the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus is the better Adam. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus bore the curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have now been healed. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus defeated sin permanently. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is the better Abraham. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Jesus is the better Passover lamb. When John saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And on the day of preparation, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus took the cup and said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed and we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus answered, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient and having been set free from sin have become slaves of God, which leads to eternal life. Jesus is the better priest Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise? He has become a priest by the power of an indestructible life. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself, a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus secures a better covenant. A better hope is introduced through which we now draw near to God. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises, Jesus promises, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. 
for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus is the better sacrifice. In the former sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible with the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So now if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And Jesus is the better king. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. My kingdom is not of this world. The Lord God will give to him the throne and he will reign forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb, be blessing and honor glory and might forever and ever. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven, the first earth has passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come. Christ Jesus testifies to these things and says surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, would you allow our hearts to respond to your word? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the promise that every word of God proves true. That the good news of the gospel that we just heard is money in the bank. It's true. 
worthy of our whole hearts, our whole lives, our whole hope, and that you give us the opportunity to give you our whole hearts and lives and hope. God, what a blessing in a world full of sinking sand that you give us a sure foundation to build on, that we can come to you and you promise to always be there with open arms, ready to run out and meet us and wrap us in your love. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has heard this story and has trusted in you in the past and has since wandered, because like your word reminds us this morning, we all like sheep wander from time to time. If anyone here this morning just needs, needed this reminder and just needed a, a reminder of the opportunity you give us when we stray to come back and be found in you, be wrapped in your love. Father, would you just speak to their heart this morning? Draw them back to yourself. Let them be encouraged that when we are faithless, you are still faithful. Father, for any here this morning who have heard this word before, who have know this story, they could recite it back maybe, or maybe they don't. Maybe it's their first time hearing. You know the hearts of people here. But if there is anyone here this morning who hasn't done that, who hasn't given you their life, their heart, their hope, their full self. Father, would, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word this morning, cut through to their heart, their soul this morning? Would you convict them with your love, with your truth, but with your love, of their need for you, their need for a savior, the magnitude of the problem of sin, but the awesomeness of the sufficiency of a savior. Father, I thank you for doing that, for being that for us. And Father, I pray boldly that someone this morning would hear this story, would, would, would feel it, in a different way that as your life and your death and your resurrection, Jesus, gives the sense and, and interprets the meaning of, the, of Scripture that we just heard, that they would understand it in a new way, that you would open the spiritual eyes of the hearts of people this morning to draw them to you.
pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.